Well, Merry Christmas. You know, we're here today to uh, slow down and to give God our thoughts, to open our heart and our mind to the greatest message, the greatest truths that human ears and hearts have ever heard or ever will hear. And maybe this is the first time for you throughout this whole season that you've slowed down maybe to this level where you're saying, this is a time for God. This is the time I need to hear from him. And our prayer has been, and my prayer is that you really will hear from God today through his word. But a time to slow down and all the other great things about Christmas, or maybe some of the not so great things, but to be able to say, Lord, give me a focus, stretch my mind and heart to consider truths that are so beyond me, that are so mysterious and so powerful and so profound, but help me to be able to grasp them today to understand. So you just heard the account of Christ's birth and watched one creative depiction of it. You know, with world-shaping events like the birth of Christ that really have marked the world and continue to, it's only wise to look at the circumstances, look at the timing, look at the characters, look at the meaning, look at the things that surrounded that kind of event. Especially when that event claims to be Good news of great joy that will impact every person regardless of age or culture or geography that God had a big plan to bring this news to all people. You know, but you ask a lot of questions like that and hopefully you ponder deeply and you, you push yourself to think a little bit beyond where you normally do. And you get to the question, okay, if I do believe that Jesus came as God in human flesh, based on the authority of God's word, I think the next question that naturally flows from that is, but why did he come? Why did he come? And that's the question I want to focus on just for a few minutes today. And we're going to look at one passage primarily in John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. And it was on that handout that you got on the way in, or you can just look at the screen. And then we're going to kind of pull these verses apart a little bit. Why did he come? John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So why... Did Jesus come? Well, first, so that we could see God. You know, these days, everyone wants proof. We want evidences, right? We always want to do the fact-checking, and, and God knew that about the human heart, and the fact that we could look out at creation and see his power and his majesty and his glory displayed in it, and we could look into the face of one another as the crown of his creation and know that we are formed in his likeness, he actually gave us something even more and far greater, and that would be Jesus in flesh so that we could look upon God. And that's what those verses 14 and 18 said. So I'll read them again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So who or what is the word? Well, we get the answer earlier in the chapter in verse 1 where we're told, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then as we read in verse 14, and this Word, the Word became flesh. 
And all that means is that God chose to become human. It was God making himself small enough to enter into our flesh, into our shoes, into this earth, leaving the glories of heaven, leaving his majesty, being the one who created it all, to then enter into it and to dwell among people. And so often we kind of overlook that word or don't think it's that significant, but to, to dwell among us is huge. To not just come to rule over us or to be at a distance or to set up some little mini kingdom and some throne and some walled city and be separate and away from people so that he wouldn't be stained by the real issues of people and their sin and their troubles, but to actually come to live amongst people, to be in the problems that they, that they face, to do real life with troubles and issues and stress and hunger and the sin that people get into and cause against one another, interacting with them, existing in the same space, the same time, in the same place with them. That's a whole different kind of approach, isn't it? And if you and I were God, we may think, oh, no, 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 just bring all the glory right away, right? Just set up this, this huge kingdom. Well, we know one day that's coming, but when he first came, he came humbly and he came in the form of his son, Jesus, in flesh. He made himself touchable, approachable. He was a friend of the sinner and a brother to the poor. He touched their sores. Remember that time when he reached out to a leper and touched him and no one would even get within 100 yards of someone with leprosy. In fact, they had to scream that they were unclean so that people could run from him. And Jesus not only got close, but touched them. He felt their tears. He feels the pain and the tears of people. And he did then, and that's why he came the way he did. So then when he talks about this hope and this love that can come, people say, oh yeah, he showed us that. He touched us. He was with us. He understood everything we went through. He went through it alongside us, not from a distance. He knows our tears and our wounds. He knows our disappointments. He knows our joys. He knows what we want to celebrate. So the invisible God wanted us to see him up close, personal. He wanted us to watch him, to listen to him, to observe how love really works in the midst of of people and sin. What does love look like when it's most difficult? So he took on flesh in the person of Christ so that we could see him and know him and then walk with him. What an incredible choice of God. What an incredible plan. He wanted people to witness his glory, to see it in full, to be able to pull up next to grace and truth that they could be impacted by it very directly in their heart and in their life. Remember, there's a story in Luke chapter 2 in the gospel there where Luke tells us about a man named Simeon who had this great hunger to know God. And maybe you feel that sense, you know, if you could really know God, you'd want to know God. If there really is a God and he's there and he's knowable and he's tried to reveal himself to us and he has, can I actually know him? Well, Simeon was told by God that he wouldn't die before he would actually see God's salvation, meaning Jesus himself. And he didn't die. And in fact, he at least has two events when the Holy Spirit spoke to him. One was that you won't die until you see him. And then the next, at least, was now go to the temple. And he didn't probably know why that day, but he went to the temple. And on that day, 
Mary and Joseph had brought baby Jesus to be dedicated to fulfill the Mosaic law. And when he was there that day, he saw the salvation of God in Christ. He saw God in flesh. And he said this in Luke 2, verse 30, My eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Can you imagine waiting your whole life, but knowing there'd be a day, because God promised and God said so, you know it was coming, and you lay your eyes on the Savior, God's plan, God himself in flesh, and it was a baby. And to know that this would be the one that would grow up to be the redeemer of Israel and bring light to the Gentiles, hope. So not just for the Jews, but the Jews first, so that they could be a light to everyone else. So it was never just about the people of God, the Israelites. It was about them being blessed in order to go be a blessing to all the Gentiles, all people of all nations for all time. Are we like Simeon, longing, waiting to see Jesus, or have we now also seen him? Jesus, the Word, the living Word, became flesh. The infinite became finite. The eternal one entered time. The invisible became visible. We sung about it, didn't we? Just a minute ago, Charles Wesley's hymn, Hark the, the Angels, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And he gave us these lyrics, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our manual. Really one of the most powerful verses in all of the Christian Christmas carols. He was pleased to dwell with us. He wanted to dwell with us. He wanted to be close to us. He didn't want us to wander off on our own. He had a better plan to be at the center of our lives and to give us all that we need for a life that would be pleasing to God and be full of his blessing. And now we get to continue to get to know this God who came so close and so personal. That's why he's given us his word, right? That his self-revelation would continue to reveal and open up the character and nature of God. That we'd be able to look full into the face of Christ. It would have been awesome to have seen him when he was here the first time. We know he's coming back like God has promised in his word. Maybe we'll be alive when he returns. We'll get to see him face to face. But if not, we know we'll be resurrected, raised up from the grave, and we will see him face to face. We'll know it was all true. All doubt will then flee from us. He wanted us to be able to watch Jesus in action. Because when we do see Jesus in action in the scriptures, we're seeing God in action. When you hear Jesus teach, you hear God teach. When you come to know what Jesus is like, you're becoming to know what God is like. That's why we read and study his word. So we can't get to know him. And he reveals himself to us. Aren't you glad that he hasn't hidden himself from us? Aren't you glad that we have the display of his glory and power in creation? We get glimpses of it from one another, but aren't you glad that he came himself in flesh? And that we have the record of his life and his love and all that he did so we can get to know him personally like you would another person? You see his motivations, you see him touching the lepers, you see the compassion and the mercy flow from him and you realize he's so other than his creation. We're so not like that. <laughs> And you see that contrast clearly and you go, but we're called to know him. And the more we get to know him, the more we become like him. Who you behold, you become. Or even in this world, it's scary what you behold, you become. But when you behold 
Christ and bring your worship to him, you become like your Savior. Colossians 2.9, the Apostle Paul tells us that in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So there was no diminishing of God's glory when he came. He was God 100% and man 100%. The great mystery. We can't, we can't divide that out in our brain. We take that by faith. That's based on the authority of his word. But it makes sense when you think, yeah, when, if I was a God who created people in my very own likeness and they strayed from me and they started not looking like me and loving like me and wanting to follow me and thought there was a better way, I'd want to go down and rescue them and bring them back. And whatever it would take, right? You'd do the same. If you really loved them, you'd want to rescue them, adopt them back, show them. It's like, come back. And I'm going to make a way for you to come back as much as you've messed up. And that's why he came. John 14, 9 says, whoever have seen, has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said that. So when we see Jesus, we see the Father. We understand who God is and we understand that he came to be close and personal. And then secondly, to pour out his grace and his truth on us. In Jesus, we receive grace and truth. We saw that in verse 16 and 17. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So God has always been revealing himself. Sometimes we're paying attention and sometimes we're not. But he's always, through all time, been revealing himself. And through scripture, through Moses, he gave us the law to show us how to live, what God's like in his holiness, and how you can walk with God even though you're not holy, and I'm not holy. And so he gave us the law, and we had to obey the law, right? The Old Testament. So the people of God in the Old Testament were told, obey me, and this is how you do it. This is how you can walk with me. But they strayed, and they stumbled, and they sinned, and they didn't keep his law, right? But the whole Old Testament was pointing to the fact that one day there would be an ultimate sacrifice. Along the way, you need to sacrifice animals, and their blood actually will bring this forgiveness of God. So a sacrifice, yes, a sacrifice. We see that thread through all of Scripture, always pointing to the fact that Jesus would come. God would come in flesh, yes, be born humbly, but ultimately then be a sacrifice for our sin, for the things we struggle, for our wrongs. So the Old Testament brought the law so we would see that we would need a Savior, that we can't keep God's commands perfectly. We all stumble and fall short. But then in the New Testament, from Christ on, and we're living in the New Testament age, right? Since Christ was here, and now he lives and reigns. That we can approach God through grace and truth. We understand the truth, but now there's also grace that we fall short of the truth. We saw fall short of God's requirement. We're not holy, Newsflash, right? But God covers our unholiness with his holiness. So you see this great progression from the beginning of Scripture in Genesis all the way to the last book of the Bible in Revelation, where God is pointing to the fact that you're going to need grace. The truth about who I am, he's revealing that all through Scripture. But then the full embodiment of God in flesh was Jesus, who was full of grace and truth, who makes up and covers all of our need. We don't have to perform. It is all by grace. That's the truth. And Jesus brought both. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you don't have to perform for God? Aren't you glad that you're not trying to measure up and hopefully on your best days, God might throw you a bone and be nice to you because most of the time he's like a tyrant? Do you think that? That's not biblical. 
lot of people think that it's, I got to be nice. I got to do some stuff God's way because after all, I mean, if he's God, he could make my life miserable and I don't want my life to be miserable. It's like, no, it's actually completely opposite because we make our own lives miserable and we fall short of his glory and we wrestle with sin and selfishness and covetousness and jealousy and lust and all those things. Christ had to come to pour his grace over us, grace upon grace, to cover us because we couldn't cover our, our sin ourselves. He brought grace. He said it was a gift in him. He witnessed to the fact that we needed it by taking it on himself, the punishment of our sin. The Apostle Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2.8. You may know this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the what of God? It's the gift of God. Man, if you've got a gift, if you've got a gift tonight, or maybe you've opened some, but, you know, as you celebrate gift giving and all that, you don't really think of, like, what you did to deserve some gift from another person. You just realize you're expressing love. They probably put some thought into the present. They spent some money or some time or both. And they just want you to receive the gift and realize, no, it's not because you did something nice to me. I felt I was obligated to do something nice back, hopefully, right? You just felt like it was love from their heart flowing toward you as a person. And you wanted to do that same thing to many others. But it would be really, really strange to think, oh, no, no, we earn the gifts with one another. No, a gift is actually something you realize is not a reward for behavior. It's a blessing that's unearned. That's what grace is. And we're told that we can have faith in Christ by his grace and that we're given this gift of God, this gift of salvation. And that's why Christianity is unique from any other quote-unquote world religion or cult or philosophy out there. It's not performing before a holy God to be good enough. It's you're not good enough. You won't be in your own strength. You can't, even on your best day, not break one of God's laws in some way. So we're all guilty. We all fall short. We're all helplessly in trouble in our sin. That's the bad news. But the good news of great joy that Jesus came to announce in his person and through his life and his sacrifice on the cross is you don't have to worry about that anymore. I'm, I covered that. I made that up for you. I totally washed you of your sin. What you couldn't do for yourself, I've done for you. Christianity is all about what Jesus has done, not what we do to earn this gift of salvation. In Hebrews 14, 12, this whole idea of grace is continued. You know, you're birthed in by faith, into this grace of God, into this forgiving relationship. And then he goes, you can continue to come to me, to my throne of grace. I think that's awesome that he calls his throne, where he rules over this, this world and over your life, over this universe, from his throne in heaven. And that's called the throne of grace. Not the throne of reward. Are you good enough to come to God and then get rewarded? It's you're not good enough, but Jesus is good enough. You're coming in his name so I'm going to give you grace. You're going to get mercy and compassion. You're going to get help and strength. I'm going to give you wisdom and perseverance. I'll give you whatever you need for whatever you face every moment you have life. And then I'm going to call you home and you'll get to be with me for all eternity. That's a pretty sweet deal, don't you think? Grace upon grace, like a layer upon layer. It's like way too much frosting, right? It's just like, it just keeps coming. That always will be there. And we're called and invited to go to God, to his throne of grace, humbly but confidently because it's 
a place where he keeps giving us grace. That's his throne. Full of grace, full of truth. John Piper talks about this grace, and I like the way he put it, so I want to quote him. He says, God is free and chooses to lavish his goodness upon sinful creatures. This is grace. This is the essence of God's reality because nothing reveals the fullness of his deity more than the freedom of his grace. God is full, happy, and sufficient in himself so that he does not need us to meet his needs, but is surging with infinite energy and fullness to meet our needs. That's his grace. And that's the capstone of his glory. Aren't you glad that you were invited into the glory and grace of God? Just because you asked Christ to come into your life and to forgive you. Just because you received the gift that you didn't earn, couldn't have done anything for, but you just opened your heart to it. And you get invited into that kind of relationship with God? I, it really is beyond me to, to know how to put words to that. Can your mind really capture it? I hope you're struggling. Like, like it's just beyond what your heart and mind can capture. It's, it feels too good to be true. We hear these deals all the time, and we know there's the fine print. There's a catch. They're going to get our email, and then they're going to bug us for 17 years. There's always something, right? There's no catch here. We get to look at all the catches. We're the ones that are caught by our sin. He's come to release and forgive. It's all good and always will be, and it'll always feel like grace. That won't ever change. It's not like you can start in grace, and then you better perform hard for God. Starting grace, and then if you wander off in some way, God beats you up and doesn't love you anymore. He doesn't even like you. No, he loves you and always will, and it's always grace. You can turn back at any point. You just turn back and you go, I don't know why I've been wandering, God. I actually, I don't know why, or I do know why, and it's not good, but I'm going to give that to you. Forgive me, and we come back to walking in his grace and truth, to coming to his throne each day and getting more grace, to enjoy the lavishness of his goodness that he pours on us just because we're his children. The question, though, for each one of us is, what are we going to do with his love and grace? We can know about it. You could sit here and maybe agree intellectually with me, but what are you going to do, actually do with it? What will you choose to do with it? You could say, Lord, I want your love to fill me. I need your love to change my heart. I'm not real loving a lot of the time. To people that I say I love the most, I'm, I need to love more. I don't give a lot of grace and understanding and mercy and compassion to people in my family or people at school or people at work. Lord, I need more of that. God, I just I think I need an overhaul. I need to be washed again. You feel that? I need to know you really are real. You really do love me. You've never given up on me. And I want to start again. I, you know, if there's like a redo button, you know, you just want to press redo. Aren't you glad God allows U-turns and redos? How often? all the time because that's who he is that's who he is so why did jesus come so that we could see god so that we could receive grace and truth and then lastly so that we could become children of god 11 and 12 verse 11 and 12 say he came to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god I believe verse 11 is one of the saddest statements in all of Scripture. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. 
He created them in love, for love, and for relationship. And they wandered off and said, now I'm going to chase things in the world. I'll figure it out myself. Kind of like, thanks God, no. They had the Old Testament that were pointing to the fact that the Messiah would come. But how did they miss it? How did they? How could they have missed it? When they studied the scriptures day and night and memorized them. The Old Testament, the Mosaic, how could they have missed them? Why do you think? Most of them, not all of them, but most of them missed them. Why do you think they missed them? Well, we're told, from those that have studied the culture of that day and all the commentators that have studied scripture, that under the tyranny of the Roman Empire, they were looking for Jesus to come as the conquering king and come that way now. We want out from under their rule. We want a new ruler. We want a new kingdom. We want you to come and set it up. They really weren't interested in someone that would come humbly and especially to a carpenter's family that would come to a little no-name couple that would be a baby? Are you kidding me? What's a baby going to do when we have the Roman government to deal with? We're under their oppression. We're told we're supposed to get a king. We want a king. We want a king now. Like, think about where their heads were at that they weren't humble enough to realize that the scriptures also said that Jesus would come and first come as a suffering servant. He would come humbly. Man, maybe you can relate. We want things that are proud. We want our own strength. We want to look at people and structures and empires that have strength. Who wants to be humble toward another person or even toward God a lot of the time? And yet Jesus said, no, humility is the way that I always was to come and did come. He's flipping our understanding on its head. He's turning the whole philosophy of most people in the world on its head. But it's what he told them. And some knew that. Like Simeon. Simeon knew that he would come and he would come humbly and he would, he would be this, this light to the Gentiles. The hope of Israel. The consolation of the people of God. Yes, but come humbly and give his life to provide salvation. My greatest joy really in my life, and I realized it this morning maybe like never before, is to be able to look out at people that are created in God's image and to say, do you know them? Have you seen the Messiah like we've been told and was prophesied? Have you seen him? Have you seen him for who he said he was as God in flesh and the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Have you seen him? Do you know him? I'd hate for anyone in this room to miss why Jesus came and who he is. And today you can know him. You can make that choice and open your heart to him, to all that love and grace that he said, I'll continue to give you. To have hope and direction in this world, to know the one who created the world and created you in his very own likeness. To literally have a personal relationship with God through his Holy Spirit that would come live in your heart. To wash your heart and your conscience. Not that then you'll be perfect. Christ is perfect, though, for you. He covers you, if you will, right? His blood is sacrifice. His perfection only covers you. So the Father looks at you through the Son and sees you as perfect. Do you want that? That's a gift God just extends to you today. I believe that's why you're here. For whatever other reasons... You may have come. They're secondary. He wants you to know him 
and enjoy him. You were actually created in love for love to have a relationship with God and then to enjoy the blessings of doing life in his love with other people, which builds great marriages and great families and great friendships and all of that. That all starts with God. He's opened the door. In fact, he says he is the door to a relationship with the Father. And as you invite him in, he gives you a new heart and a clean heart and forgives all your sin. That's Christmas. John 3.16 says, you may have heard these verses, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But often we don't hear the next verse. So important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's great love, don't you think? When really we think we're rational and reasonable that you know, we shouldn't have done that because we were locked up in a decaying moral culture and our own sin and our own struggles and wandering from God and trying to figure it out or doing it ourselves. The fact that he would come not to condemn us, but do the very opposite. You're stuck, aren't you? You need a rescue, don't you? Your heart is hurting, isn't it? These relationships are going real great, huh? You don't know if you really have hope in this world or could ever get past your fears, do you? I've come so that all those answers could be yes in Christ. I've come so you can have fear, I mean, can have hope and die to fear. You can have love instead of hatred and grudges and resentment. You can know this God who came in flesh to come close to you and to change you in all good ways. That's incredible love. He came to reclaim, to restore, to regenerate us. And that's including you. How many of you watch that show Fixer Up? Are any fans out there? Okay, or any of the other HGTV shows where, you know, they look at a dilapidated house and they set you up. And you're like, oh, there's probably rats and infestations and roaches and ants and everything, right? And then they come and they do their magic on that house and the whole thing changes and it's, it's like, wow, right? Well, one thing I really like about Fixer Upper, especially that show, is they find one piece that used to be in the corner, or used to be in the garage, and it used to be grandpas or grandmas or some special, it's just... Now it's too old. Now the screws are falling out and it's rickety. Now you're going to get splinters if you put your arm on it. Like that's not really good for public use and out most of the time, but it's really cool we held on to it. And they take that piece and oftentimes secretly for one of the spouses in the family and they restore that piece to its original design. They sand it down. They remove the splinters. They tighten everything up. They restain it. Then they put a finish on it. And now that piece of furniture that really wasn't worthy of being out in, you know, in the normal fray of life in one of those rooms was now front and center and very special. And everyone knew that, oh, that was grandpa's old armoire or that was grandma's desk or that was uncle Joe's whatever. And that has a special place. Isn't that awesome when that happens? Some of you like to restore furniture. I think it's great. Or restore cars. And you go like, well, back to the original. God knows sin has stained us. We've got splinters all over us. We've got marks all over us. And we're, we've wandered away from God and his ways. All we have to do is just like, God, I need to be restored. Would you come restore me? Reclaim me? 
He said we could come and be readopted as, as his children. That we could become children of God and you'd regenerate us like that from the inside out, from a heart level, all the way out into our life and our relationships. That's why he came. And he said all we would need to do in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from the marks, the wrongs, where we fall short, where we've wandered, where we've hurt others, where they've hurt us, to have complete cleansing. All we need to do is say, Lord, I need it. I confess all of that sin to you, and I want to receive you. I want to understand and experience why you came, Jesus. It's clear in your word. I haven't experienced it yet. I want to today. It's your Christmas. It's your day. I believe that's why God brought you here today. And you can be changed for all of eternity because that's the promise of God's word. Because when Jesus comes in and takes up residence in your life, you don't have the weight of your sin and the burdens and the regrets and all that sin that you have no power to try to control. You actually do have his help. You actually can make progress in your life. You actually can start establishing relationships on grace and truth as well. The same kind of relationship you have with him. And all you do is just say, I need the gift. You open your heart to his gift. So he did come. But why did he come? Jesus came so we would see God, so we could receive his grace and truth, and so we could become children of God. That's your heart today. I want to give you an opportunity just to open it to God right now. In your words, in your way, it's just your heart talking to him. He's here. He wants you to speak to him. And let him know your intention. And I'll pray and you can follow along with me and then I'll pray for the rest of us. But we've got the worship team. They're going to come in and lead us in a song in a minute. We're also going to have an offering right now. Uh, If you're a guest here, that's not for you. That's for the Cornerstone family. Just let it pass. And we're going to have an opportunity just to talk to God and worship him for a few minutes. So would you turn with me to the Lord? Let's speak with him. Father, we're so grateful for this time right now. It's special. It's set apart. It may have been some of the only moments we've had to slow down and think about you and why you came. Thank you, God. You have spoken to me. I sense your spirit stirring in my heart. Thank you, God, for coming close to me. Even as I've chosen to be here to draw near to you, you've drawn near to me. That shouldn't surprise me. You said you'd do that every time. But I am surprised. Thank you, God, that you're here. From what I've heard today, Lord, based on your word, you love me. You're not waiting for me to become good enough on my own or perform or clean up my act. You actually came to bring your cleansing because I couldn't do it for myself. So, Lord, I do open my heart to you. I don't want to walk in the darkness of my sin or regrets or hurts or living as a critic or a judge of everyone else in the world and not myself. I want to judge my own heart right now and it's not in good shape but it can be would you come Lord and give me a new heart forgive me come into my life I want to become a child of God your child that is why you came and I believe that in my heart I confess my sin to you forgive me 
you just prayed that to God, praise the Lord. You're a child of His for all eternity. And the Holy Spirit came to come live in your heart, never to leave you. And He never will. And one day, because you are His child, He will return for you and take you home to heaven, to the new heaven and the new earth. It's going to be incredible. Thank you, God, for all the promises about that. If you prayed that prayer, let someone know that you came with today. I finally know why Jesus came. He came for me to give me life and forgiveness and grace. I'm a child of God. Thank you, Lord. And for all of us that have already seen your salvation and accepted it, like Simeon, we now move on, Lord. We can make you known. Much like those shepherds when they have experienced your glory and your joy and they heard this really, really good news that caused great joy in their heart that they could go make him known to others that haven't yet seen Christ clearly. So Lord, would you please just fill every heart here with your love. All of that grace, Lord, you promised we need it poured out on us. Thanks for fresh forgiveness of any things we're wrestling with right now. Thanks for fresh strength and wisdom for ears. We need that, Lord. And help us to walk more closely with you. That your love would continue to fill us. That the delight of knowing you would fill us. That we'd see the mark of your love in our relationships in even greater ways. And have that overflowing hope. In this world, we know we don't get it, but we can get it from you, Jesus. Fill us with your hope and your joy, even today as we worship you. And more and more, Lord, until you return for us. Thank you, Lord, for that holy, holy night that you came to be our Savior.